All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best. You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcasting. And with that familiar music, you know you are listening to your podcast. I'm Ken Mills. Thank you for joining us once again. And today, I'm joined by Chris Sinzak from the Decibel Geek Podcast. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Ken? I'm doing very well. As you know, we are in the third episode of our Carnival of Souls. So on this episode, we're going to discuss side two of Carnival of Souls. And you folks over at Decibel Geek did your episode about Carnival of Souls, where you interviewed producer Toby Wright. Could you tell folks where they can find that? Just go to decibelgeek.com, and uh, you can just type in Toby Wright into the search bar, and it'll bring it up, or Carnival of Souls. It's a series we do called Albums Unleashed, where we get somebody who was involved in the record on the record to talk about it. And uh, the Toby Wright one was such a long, really interesting interview, we broke it into two parts. So I thought we would be the uh, the masters of long episodes on Carnival of Souls, but you guys topped us with three. So Well, there you so, go. That's off to you. <laughs> Uh, what do you think of the series so far? I love it, and I'm I'm a big fan of this record, and I have been since it came out. And I know some people want to throw tomatoes at me, but this album has always been a great album to me. And um, I'm one of the people that downloaded it off the internet in '95 uh, when it was leaked and burned it onto a cassette tape from my computer. And uh, that took about three days, I think, for it to actually get transferred over. The <laughs> majesty of early internet. I love the series, though, because the fact that you got so many differing opinions, and um, I wish BJ would be a little more clear on what he thinks of the album. That's really kind of confusing me. <laughs> and you mentioned something about the Paul songs. Yeah, it was, and you brought up something on the the last episode that it, and it was as much as I've talked about this album, especially with Toby, it never really crossed my mind because you know Paul always talks about how. This was them being fake and them trying to jump on the grunge train and them not being authentic. And then you brought up an interesting point that the real I never even considered was, especially if you've read Paul's book and you realize that a lot of the periods of his life, especially during the 90s, were not fun for him and um, he was in a really depressive state. He was hiding it real well. That this may be one of the most honest records for Paul Stanley, even though he wants to say it isn't, because some of those lyrics could really hit home and could really be you know about the stuff he was going through and you know you also brought up well you saw how miserable he was in his book i mean who's to say that some of these fun upbeat happy songs in the 80s weren't him completely you know telling a lie and not being authentic it's like it's almost the opposite of what he the narrative that he's always put out there right that really comes down to the the art you're trying to create and there's uh you know was was Paul with a bunch of groupies when he was not with a bunch of groupies in the early 70s? You know what I mean? You wrote what you wanted, and uh, you faked it till you made it kind of thing. You know, this is the same band who used to put empty Marshall amps on stage. You know? right. So, <laughs> you know, I don't think that uh, Paul McCartney, when he did Helter Skelter, or, you know, you pick anything. It's, it's just a song, man. You know, that's really yeah. what it comes down to, so... But it does make you wonder, though, if there was some, some, even if he was at the time thinking, I have to write a quote-unquote grunge song, if some of the subconscious stuff he was going through was coming out onto paper. You have to wonder about that. That's true. That's true. And we all feel pain and we all go through things. And it's it's horrible how he was, uh, you know, if you read his book, and I recommend it to everybody out there, mm-hmm. uh, check out Paul Stanley's book. 
and uh, it's it's definitely worth reading. But you know, from being made fun of as a kid and and his problem with Microtia and just being picked on for being different. And when it really comes down to it, all of us are different. Absolutely. And uh, and we as Kiss fans know what it's like to be different. So. <laughs> Well, and that album helped me through a period of time that my life wasn't going the greatest at the time that that album came out. I was in my, I guess I was in my uh, early 20s at the time, and that's a really confusing time for anybody. So, And I was trying to cope with a lot of things that I had been through. So, yeah, it's a depressing album, and yeah, it's not the upbeat party thing, but it was one of those things where it was uh, maybe it was beneficial to have my favorite band writing stuff that was like, wow. You know, this is a bummer of a song, but I can relate to it. You know, even though, and I'll, but they're also there for you with the upbeat ones to pull you out of that too. Yeah, so you don't, you don't always feel like a, a rock and roll party or like it's a crazy night. You know, sometimes it, it's not a great day. Yeah. So, and I just, I, and the, and the playing on the album is just amazing. I mean, the that that version of the band uh, musically might be my favorite. Right. Well, here's a clip of Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons talking about Carnival Souls on the cruise from a few years ago. You know, yesterday in the dressing room, every once in a while, we get a kick out of listening to something that we haven't heard in a while. We listened to Carnival Souls from beginning to end yesterday. Usually we don't, and we were critiquing ourselves. This song's good, I don't like that part. So we play music for hours before we get up on stage. Thanks. Not just our stuff. Everything. Oh, yeah. Thankfully, I was in the other room. Yeah. Rich guys complaining about the World album, and I go, Oh, it's Carnival and Soul. We have a lot to complain about. Oh, the Butler didn't show up today. The Rolls Royce has a flat tire. Very funny to hear us singing songs about how. So that clip, it lets you know that Paul kind of marginalizes this album a little bit. Gene seems to be a little more proud of it, I would say. Yeah, and I, I, brought, I brought that quote up to Toby when we recorded, and, and he, because I was like, had you heard about what Paul said? And he's like, no, and then I brought it up, and he just started laughing his ass off. And, um, you know, he, the funny, the thing with uh, Toby was, he was like, Gene was definitely more, he said they were all invested in the album, but Gene was the most difficult person to work with on the album. I think Gene had a, a certain vision on this one, and he was kind of playing the uh, the leader role on it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, every once in a while, they, they take turns like as who is leading the album, it seems. Yeah, and Paul was going through a lot personally at the time, so I'm thinking he probably just handed the reins to Gene on this one. Right. And Chris, just once more, please let people know where they can find your Albums Unleashed episode of Carnival of Souls. If you go to decibelgeek.com and just go in the search bar, type Albums Unleashed or Carnival of Souls or Toby Wright, and all of those will bring up the two-part special we did on it. And uh, we have a new show out every week, and I want to thank Ken for letting me come on and shill my show. Uh, I I would love to have you on more often. It's just we're busy guys with uh, our little podcasting uh, enterprises that we have going on here are... (laughs) take up a lot of time not to mention the family and friends and jobs well, and this is the year that you come on our show yes i, I can't wait we actually did an episode rise <laughs> on your show and it uh the digital gods were not kind to us it 
Yeah, I had it on a U-Matic tape, but I burned it. Ah, well, there it is. There it is. <laughs> was there an auction? <laughs> no, there was not an auction. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'd like to thank you for coming on today to help kick off our third part in our series as we look at side two of Carnival of Souls. Before we go and before we get into it, I would like to mention the passing of David Bowie. And for someone that was there in the 70s, it was it was a very interesting time for glam rock and for hard rock. And I'm not going to speak too much about it. There'll be a little musical thing at the end of the episode, but uh, the guy really was a trendsetter and he really did push the boundaries. And you could never pin him down. Just when you thought you had Bowie figured out, he went and became a whole new thing. And it was sometimes frustrating as a fan because, you know, like those early glam albums, Chris, that, you know, those, those are kind of like, you know, hard rock and, and, and like that was, that was where I hung my hat. And then he comes along and does something like fame and TVC one five. And then he's German albums and so on and so forth. But the guy was an innovator, both in music and in video. So he is sorely missed. And, you know, Chris, a lot of people talk about the celebrity deaths. For example, Alan Rickman also passed, and Lemmy, and so on and so forth. And what about the, the people around you? And it, if anything, Chris, it, don't, don't you think this should let folks know that time is short and that they should make the most of it? Absolutely. And when, you know, Lemmy was hard to stomach, and then when David left, and then I, I just posted on Facebook, and basically what I said was, I'm, and I personally wasn't the biggest fan of David Bowie, but at the same time, you can't deny the guy's impact on music, pop culture, and just in general, the, the world. I mean, he was influential on so many different things, and it transcended music, but yeah, this, our heroes are all getting older, guys, and um, we all like to bicker back and forth on the internet about all the little moves that everyone makes, and yes, this is a KISS podcast, and we certainly... Uh, take take apart every little thing that the guys do but honestly we're just lucky that they're even still around and i think we should appreciate them while they are still around you know let's do the tribute before they're gone you know let them know that you appreciate them absolutely i agree 100 percent. and more than paying tribute to anyone let the folks in your life know that you love them and let them know what's important well once again chris thanks for being on the show oh it was awesome thanks so much man all right, let's kick it off. I'm joined by Matt Porter. What's up, Kiss Army? Gary Schaller. How you doing? Carnival of Bowls. It's an album for rodents. <laughs> BJ Cramp from all the podcasts in the world. We've got him from Cheap Talk, his show Rock and or Roll Podcast, and miscellaneous others. And he's also part of the podcast staff. So, <laughs> And we have Larry Roberts joining us today. Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm always seeking out anything KISS-related. I've been a fan since I was literally three years old. I was one of those. And uh, I think the first... Well, you guys... Podkist was the first uh, KISS podcast that I knew about. And um, I've been a pretty avid follower of it for all these years. I think it's pretty great. 
Yeah. Glad to be here with Thank you guys. You. Now you are in a band. Would you like to tell people about your band? I'm in a band uh, called November's Doom. Kind of heavy, crunchy, cookie monster type stuff, as some of you might call it. But uh, I've been around, I've been in this band for almost 20 years. Once again, showing how old I am. It's not exactly what people would automatically associate with, you know, diehard Kiss fan. But, eh, you know, if you know what to li- listen for, you'll hear it in there. So Right, absolutely. We welcome you back as we continue to look at side two of Carnival of Souls, or what Matt Porter would call the nest of termites, so... (laughs) In my head. Exactly. songs off the album. Gary Schaller, your thoughts on In My Head? Um, wow. This is me once again being the unabashed Gene Simmons fan. (laughs) In My Head is such a stomper. It's just brutal. And, uh, yeah, it's got the the really serious uh, Alice in Chains harmonies uh, going on there. Um, But some of those, I don't care. I mean, musically, it's it's just brutal, heavy song. And Gene's lyrics... uh, cardboard boxes filled with hate is that right or uh, <laughs> yeah. plastic icons glowing red nest of termites in my head I'm just yeah that's Matt's favorite line <laughs> so good so good Matt Porter your thoughts on in my head you nest of termites you <laughs> you know what I love the intro and it sounds like a great Iron Maiden song or something but it's just you know again I mean I anybody that suffered through part one of this review and the fact that I keep going back to the same thing you know I just I feel like again now he's got termites in his head glowing red blah 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 wah 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 just not you know not the content I want I argue that lyrically it's better than within <laughs> It's in that, you know, that's the funny it's, it's thing. It's kind of what in isn't, What isn't right. better than within? And but, you can draw right. an absolute straight line from what they were doing at that time with this song, which is, I think, kind of funny. But, you know, it's just, um, but yeah, I don't like that one either, really, so. Yeah, but I, I think this is much better. But there's a lot of similarities. Sure. You know, between this and that. Uh, Larry Roberts, your thoughts on In My Head? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned uh, within because that's that's kind of my take on it too. Is that I feel like the two songs are very similar in in some respects. You know, they're I don't even know how to explain it, but they just they kind of to me they resonate in the same way. And I think in my head's much better. I love I love that intro like you're talking about. It's that intro is totally metal. Um, right. 
you know, it's really cool. It's kind of weird that it's on there, then, and then it the song sort of goes in a little bit of a different direction from that. Right. But uh, yeah, uh, again, the guitar work on this is really cool. Um, definitely unusual, unusual kind of chords and things going on. It's some of it almost sounds like something I'd hear on, you know a dream theater record or something like that just really really you know not your standard like rock and roll chords on this so i appreciate that yeah i i like this song i think this one and uh along with childhood's end are my two favorite uh gene songs on the album that's that's kind of where i kind of fall in on to me those are some of the best stuff on the album i love that chugga chugga part where the song kind of picks up again after like the first couple lines yeah uh, that that chugga 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 that bruce adds it just is really cool bj your thoughts on in my head well i have to say i really took one for the team ken listening to this song yesterday <laughs> because it's just embarrassing i was embarrassed for gene that he's saying saying these words um really there's got to be the worst lyrics on the record as far as no, lyrics go, no, no, I don't no. like the song at all either, but the lyrics are just embarrassing. Uh, no disrespect to Jamie St. James from Black and Blue, who right. I think Gene says helped him tighten up <laughs> these lyrics, which <laughs> I would hate to read the rough draft, but, you know, yeah, that's terrible. Embarrassing, really, I think. Are there any particular lyrics that you'd like to point out? Well, like, the what does he say? Cardboard box full of hate mm -hmm. in his head? Yep. The, what is he talking about? It's just <laughs> really fucking dumb. The dog has fleas. They're glowing red, and he's in my bed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, to me, it almost sounds like someone's living on the street or something and trying to deal with what's going on or how he's seeing reality, you know? Right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so he's singing from the point of view of some character but why why <laughs> what is he <laughs> trying to express what is he trying to express all he's trying to do is fit into this bullshit genre of alternative but to that would have worked great on the spawn soundtrack anyway um, but if, if he's <laughs> that's true. character be the god of thunder that's what i want yeah makes sense okay our next track is it never goes away written by paul stanley Bruce Kulick and Mr. Cuomo again. Shaller, your thoughts on It Never Goes Away? You know, I like It Never Goes Away, and I also recognize that everything that's quote-unquote wrong with this album is uh, embodied in this song. When you have Paul Stanley singing about watching the churches raping the needy, um, I think it, it really highlights why a lot of fans uh, can't get down with this record. Um, it's a... I... I I personally don't have a problem with a band being diverse in its lyrical subject matter, and I don't, I don't expect Paul to still be singing about you know, put your hand in my pocket, grab onto my rocket, you know, on every all of the twenty oh. records. I don't know. I mean, although 
I don't, you know, ACDC make the same album over and over again, right? So maybe Kiss fans want that a lot. Some do. I think his vocals on this song are really good. Mm-hmm. It's not one of my favorites. BJ, your thoughts on It Never Goes Away? Uh, this sounds like a 45 being played at 33 RPM. That's what this <laughs> song sounds like. This song sounds like a poetry slam with musical accompaniment. There's no melody. It's a spoken word album now. I mean, I wrote down this song is less melodic than the average conversation. It's just a dull, boring mess. Wow. Probably the worst song. If you could even call it a song, it's like, hey, slap that guitar with your hand. I'm going to talk. That's not a song. Well, you know, I was talking about how there's those times that uh, a Kiss lyric can ruin your life that whenever somebody says something, like somebody will be talking to me, like usually my wife will be talking about a co-worker at work, and I go, I'm so sorry. And after like the ninth time hearing it, I'm so sorry, but there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say. And, and if anybody, if if anybody could, likes this song, they're instantly giving us a one-star review. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, this just in, woman complains about co-workers. Anyway. <laughs> it's like a Wesley Willis song. Really? <laughs> That's what it is. Wow. I got, hey, I got headbutted by Wesley Willis once. <laughs> Not nice. my brother. Or do you guys know who Steven Jesse Bernstein is? That's what this song is like. Um... <laughs> Spoken word with a grunge jazz <laughs> playing in the background. <laughs> well, it's weird because it's almost like it's two songs. There's the the one where, you know... It, it's almost like it's zero songs. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess it could be two songs that wind up being zero songs. Like, you know where Paul McCartney has that great knack of taking, like, one song bit where he has, like, maybe, you know, half a song and then another song and he's got another half song. He just kind of merges them together and it becomes, like, this classic iconic thing. This is the opposite of what you're saying. Not <laughs> yeah, this is, this is no, you never give me your money. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> But it's weird because it almost seems disingenuous to hear on this song. Like, I can almost buy it when Gene is, like, slagging on pretentious people who claim to be holy but aren't. But it's weird when Paul does that. I don't know if that makes any sense. Like, if this was a Gene co-write, I could understand where that's coming from. But I don't know whether, you know, where that came from. Because it doesn't sound like anything else that Paul Stanley's ever written before heartless rich and greedy watch the churches rape the needy while we pray for salvation preachers yield to temptation it never ends it just doesn't seem like something that paul would write but he obviously did so but then well, again back to back writers. you got this one and the next one are both have that kind of slap on the church and kind of anti you know church and you know that's the thing it's they're going for like the easy targets like oh let's let's you know make fun of the church it's like well it's like kind of like the handbook of how to appear to be, you know, outside the system, you know, I don't know. Well, from Julian Gill's KissMonster.com, uh, according to Bruce, the song is a very moody song from Paul that has a 12-string Rickenbacker solo. Yay, Rickenbackers. <laughs> Gene got me the Rickenbacker for my birthday. Paul has suggested that the song, quote, 
is a pretty cool song that says basically there's a lot of kind of evil stuff that goes on <laughs> and misery in the world, but there's really not a whole lot I can do about it. It never changes. It never ends. <laughs> and even if he could and even if he would, it would never go away. So I came up with it when I dropped my guitar. <laughs> and I liked the riff it played. <laughs> BJ, that's horrible. <laughs> you pretentious snob, you. Um. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> And the next one, I really like this one by comparison, Seduction of the Innocent. thoughts on seduction of the innocent this is one of my favorite songs seduction of the innocent i um I, real beatly sound uh, as others have said and um it's gene doing his thing and uh and he does it so well um I, and i don't care what anyone said including bruce kulik much respect to bruce i think that that line is would you pull the trigger aimed at his brain Ken, let me ask you. I mean, you know, as as someone who, like me, uh, you know, really likes Pink Floyd and the Beatles. Um, I mean, you hear that on this song, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, this is the kind of stuff they were talking about in interviews when they were, you know, first writing and, uh, you know, I guess recording or demoing this record that got me excited for it. Before I heard it, before you know, there was any talk about the reunion that that I knew of, and 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 long before fans kind of lambasted this record. Right. Matt Porter, your thoughts on Seduction of the Innocent? I like the cool kind of Indian vibe that it has, you know, but it's another kind of, uh, you know, let's rip on the church and uh, everybody's evil. And I don't know, just not one of my favorite songs on the album. Well, as Gary has said, you know, being a fan of Gene Simmons, it's it just this is the kind of thing that Gene brings to the table is that, you know, if, if, if you're going to get something like from the Beatles or uh, Pink Floyd from uh, either uh, Gene or Paul, it's more likely going to come from Gene. So, I, again, I hear a lot of really cool stuff in this song that I enjoy. This I, this is the kind of stuff I would like to see Gene Simmons do more of. I, I like it when Gene explores this kind of musicality, if you will. And I, I'm sure some of it, most of it, might have had to do with even Bruce Kulick, who is also a huge Beatle fan. Larry Roberts, your thoughts? Yeah, I you know, 
this is a cool song. I, I, I think it's a cool song. It's, it's the kind of song, though, that I would have pictured fitting better if Gene would have done a good solo album, you know, instead uh-huh. of Asshole. Um, okay. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I guess if it's going to be on any Kiss album at all, it's going to be on this one. But, but even then, it's, it just, it's just kind of odd. I don't know. I, I think that it's got some really interesting musical stuff going on in there. I think the, again, the chorusy section, I think, is pretty strong. Um, but it just, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just where it's placed, you know, so deep in the album. It, it just kind of struck me kind of odd. Like, it, it seems, like, weird in the sequencing of things. But uh-huh. I, I, think it's a, I think it's a good song. It's not as strong as uh, uh, something like Childhood Zen. But, yeah, I, I, would, li- I would like to have actually heard this be on... If he would have gone out and done a solo album like around ninety eight, ninety nine, something like that, and taken ideas like this and put it on there, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. It's fine on here too, but right. I would, I would just like to hear him do a solo album where he took stuff like this, and you know, away from you know, not under the Kiss moniker, any of that kind of thing, and do and explore this a little more. And that context, I would really like this even more. Hmm. Huh. Lyrically, it kind of goes along with the same theme that was in Childhood's End. You know, it's it's weird. There's a lot of Kurt Cobain kind of references in those two things. I'm sure it's not by accident. Uh, right. BJ, your, your thoughts? Well, when I was listening to this song, I thought, especially the verse, it sounded like it should have been played on a sitar, which is not good because I hate the sitar. There were moments, especially the chorus, had some potential, but I think it just seems feels uninspired to me. I don't know. It had potential, but it wasn't realized, I don't think. You could take Childhood's End and this song and kind of mix them in and out of one another, and I don't think it would be that hard to do. Yeah, they do have a similar vibe as far as like the music yeah. goes. Yeah, I could so, see that. Huh. Okay, our next track is I Confess. thoughts on i confess love this i really it's one of the three that didn't make it to the bootleg that i had so i had to wait until the album was officially <laughs> released to hear it for the first time and i remember just loving it i, I really like that uh, i love that i love that part i still do the um before the guitar solo the, the god never spoke to me not just yet 
so let that be my last will and testament. I think, you know, it, it, they're kind of simple, smart lyrics. It, um, they don't over-explain, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense. It's a little evocative. It, it, it makes you think a bit, but it doesn't hit you over the head with um, watch the churches rape the needy. I, I have to say, I, who knows Who knows for sure where these lyrics came from because there's so much co-writing on the album. Right. You know, I, I, it's fair to say, I, I suspect, that you know, Gene and Paul do write a, a whole bunch of their own lyrics. Certainly, like, I will be there see, seems like it's a no-brainer. But just to go back to um, I Confess for a minute, Aside from the misleading title, um, which is, you know, should be You Confess, I guess. But you ever notice that um, there are a few lyrical ideas that seem to repeat themselves in Gene songs that were written in the 90s, like Laughing When You Want to Cry? Yeah. That's in this song. It's in Waiting for the Morning Light. And it's also in We Are One. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a song, Laugh, Laughing When You Want to Cry, like one that was demoed or something, that, or, or an unreleased Gene song. Um you get the feeling that this is maybe about his father? Uh, possibly, yeah. You never know. <laughs> well, I don't, you know what? Actually, he says, I know he mentions all you've got is your father's name or something like that. But yeah. I don't know. I, I, every time I hear this song, I imagine like a, almost like a scene in Taxi Driver, but, but, but darker. Someone's just sort of sitting alone in an apartment staring at themselves, and it's miserable. Mm. And yet I like it. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Larry Roberts, your thoughts... On I confess. Uh, it's okay. I it's it's one of the songs that I think it's all right. I just tend to I confess that I usually press the skip button on this one. So <laughs> <laughs> just being honest, I'd like to be more deep about it, but it's just one of those ones that I go uh, okay, you know, it's all right. That's about all I got to say. Okay. <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah, Larry Roberts says skip button, you know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's skip you and go on to BJ. Yeah. I think this song suffers from what a lot of this album suffers from, at least for my taste and what I like. What I listen for is the melody. And from my point of view, when you're writing a rock or a pop song, the words should be secondary to the melody. You know, the words should fit to the melody like you have the melody first and you want the words to sound right and i think there's just too many words too many syllables and the words a lot of the lyrics in this album aren't written to fit with a melody and i think that's one of the big problems i mean you know even if they had written different words i wouldn't like most of these songs but i you know they tried too hard with the lyrics i think was is a big problem here just trying too hard but not even really knowing what you're trying to do. That's that's just not going to work out well. So, and I, yeah, I just don't think it's a good song. Right. I mean, that, that was my thing is I feel like this one just didn't really hook me. You know, it, it lacked a hook. I mean, even with when I was talking about Childhood's End before uh, on side one, even though it was when I first heard it, it was kind of awkward to me. It still hooked me. There was something about it that that made me want to hear it again and and try to absorb it a little more and this song just doesn't do that for me to me it's kind of weak in parts but then there's other parts i absolutely love like for example where gene goes there's no waking from this nightmare and you're lost in your reality that seems like it should go to a happier place but then it goes right back down into that minor stuff there you know so you tell me all your secrets I, I like the orchestration a lot. I, it's almost like uh, Beatley again, in my mind. 
whether it is to anybody else's or not. This is almost like uh, a more bummer version of Eleanor Rigby, in a way. It's almost like if Black Sabbath were to have done Eleanor Rigby, you know, take a depressing song and make it even more depressing, as Good opposed Lord. to making a, taking a sad song and making it better. <laughs> Matt Porter, your thoughts on I Confess? Well, you know, it's funny that you went with those exact lines, because to me, it's, and if anybody hasn't figured out my stance on this album yet, but I mean, when he says there's no waking from the nightmare and you're lost in your reality, no, 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 Kiss should take us out of the nightmare. It's It's been my escape hatch for almost all my life. I don't, you know, it's easy to be depressed. Take us someplace better. You know, and, and so I guess that's, I mean, it's I say it over and over and over, but it's just, I don't want to, f- the song's about being in a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Nightmare Child, Psycho Circus, all that stuff. Right. The new unofficial and unsanctioned KISS book, Gene, Ace, Peter, and Paul, celebrates the legendary 1978 KISS solo albums. Released simultaneously, KISS became the first major rock band to attempt such a major endeavor. The book features interviews with more than 30 musicians, engineers, producers, arrangers, those most intimately involved in the creation of the solo albums. The book is available in paperback and Kindle formats at Amazon.com and in iBook formats at iTunes. Please visit Kiss78SoloAlbums.com for further information. songs with kiss and mirrors any thoughts on that anybody in the mirror i really like this song i think this is one of paul's best moments uh on this record and probably one of his best for me one of my favorite uh paul non-makeup tracks um it almost reminds me of something that like prince would have recorded or uh maybe lenny kravitz do, do people uh do people know people are listening to the prince record chaos and disorder mm-hmm. yeah you know like yes. kind of it's like, oh, one of absolutely. It's, like heavy yeah. What's that? Yeah, I know it. Yeah, it's kind of a harder rock record, um, more than more so than it is a dance record. And, and I and I feel like this is a song that could have that could have been on that record. I like it a lot. I, um, again, with I think, if I'm not mistaken, some surprising time signatures, great guitar playing, and unbelievable drumming from Eric Singer. Holy canola.
You know what? Do you remember when you used to go to the carnival when you were a kid and you had to throw the ball through the hoop, but you could get a kiss mirror or a Rocky Horror mirror? <laughs> yeah. That's let's talk about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's what? What's the line? Uh, look in the mirror. I'm thinking. It's you a, mean it's the a, Dream On lyrics? Well, Aerosmith. Those when I look in the mirror, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All these lines in my face getting yeah, clear. clear. You know what? When you when no. you get to be older, I'm going. Oh my God! You know that's the problem. I don't. I want to be 16 again. You want to have a magic mirror. Exactly. Um, you want to be young and wasted. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Take a lot of drugs now, but they're for my high blood pressure. So. <laughs> You know, Kiss did always kind of talk about them trying to be like a, you know, a mirror of their their fans' fantasies and, and, you know, trying to project that. I mean, even their characters are supposed to be kind of, is that supposed to be like a mirror of, uh, now I'm getting all Freudian on it, but I mean, okay. it's just, yeah, I mean, well, plus these guys also spend how many hours every day looking at a damn mirror. Right. Well, yeah, I was going to say, what he's talking about the lines in his face, maybe he's talking about drawing the star. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Matt Porter, would you look in the mirror and tell us what you think? You know what? I like the riff. I think it sounds great. You know, it sounds like he's probably singing about somebody who is either just super confused or addiction or something. You know, I like that idea. He's looking in the mirror and drawing a star in his face. That's a much cooler idea. You know, not again, just not a not a song that I love. Uh-huh. Larry Roberts. When I was listening to this album the other day, thinking about this song, listening to the riffs and the hooks in it, it was the one that struck me as possibly being the most Kiss-like in a way, like the more you know what you would expect from Paul in some way. Not, I'm not talking about lyrics necessarily, but just like the music, some of the not some of the melodies and. Even that being said, this is like my least favorite Paul song on the album. Uh-huh. I just, it figures that it's second to last on the album because it just seemed like throwaway to me again. I mean, it's got some moments in, in it that are, are okay. I won't necessarily automatically skip this one when I listen to it, but it just doesn't really take me there. Right. Well, BJ, you know, I can feel your face inside the mirror. What do you think of uh, this song? I wrote down plodding, boring, flat, no melody, completely fake. (laughs) (laughs) You know, listen to the chorus. How many notes are there? Like two? Take a look in the (laughs) mirror. It's just, there's nothing. You know, it's it's a stretch from crazy, crazy, crazy. You know, think of how many notes there are in the chorus of a song and then listen to the the monotone way the monotonous way this chorus is delivered um it's just not the kind of song i like you know that's just the thing i like a certain kind of song and this is not it <laughs> so right uh-huh. hi this is bruce kulik and you're listening to podcast we come to our last track and it's kind of sad bruce kulik finally gets a lead vocal as and Eric are walking out the door. I Walk Alone, written by Gene Simmons and Bruce Kulick. I walk alone, can't you see? I don't belong, let me be everything I've dreamed of. Being is me, and I've got myself to lean on. 
you're our guest for this episode. We'll let you take lead on I Walk Alone. You know, it's funny. I've seen this song get slagged off by a lot of people on message boards and stuff. I've seen a lot of people say that they think this is the worst song on the album. The funny thing is, this is my favorite song on the album. I adore this song. I'm a big Bruce Kulick fan, so when I heard him doing his own thing finally, you know, I was pretty excited about that. But I don't know about the rest of you guys, but did anybody... I don't know how much you guys cared at that point, because now Ace was back and everything, but... Man, when I first heard this song and I listened to the words and just the tone of it, I felt really sad. <laughs> I felt really bad for Bruce, you know? I it, it just it was just so poignant given that it was his exit from the band and here he was. He's walking alone. He's got nobody, you know, he's just got himself to lean on. And, you know, he always was the guy with his feet on the ground, you know? He was the grounded guy in the band, you know? The, the tree, as they said. <laughs> I mean, I you know, I I like his vocals. You know, I know some people said his vocals were kind of flat or whatever. Eh, you know, maybe. But I, I just, I think this is a really good, heartfelt song. I, I, I think the whole little nod, that his obvious nod to Hendrix there in the middle with the two different backwards sections is kind of kind of cool, you know. Um, I, I, I think it's a great song. I, I, I yeah. To me, it's one of the strongest points on this album. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. I just, I'd love to hear Bruce do more stuff like this. You know, I know he's done various things since then, but this is one of the best things I think I've heard him do in the last 20 years. So, I Walk Alone is kind of a sad tune. I really like the Revenge era and that lineup. And it was my first time seeing Kiss Live was, was, was in 92 um, with this lineup. And I mean, to me, it was the closest thing that we ever got, at least up to that point, to the kind of the mystique and the music of the first three Kiss records. Mm. Okay, that heavy black leather look and feel uh, of the whole vibe. Um, and a bit of a sad thing with this song is just, it feels like it's Eric Singer and Bruce Kulick saying goodbye, almost like they knew that era was over. Yeah. You know? And it's nice to hear um, Gene's uh, backing vocals on, on the end of the song. Uh, and Bruce, oh my god, what a guitar player. Holy canola. Bruce Kulick made his lead vocal debut on this track. Ironically, like Eric Carr, his vocal debut came on his final studio album with the band. Initially, Bruce had brought the demo of the song to the sessions and had asked Gene if he could attempt the vocal. Gene and co-producer Toby Wright were agreeable to Bruce giving it a shot since it would add an interesting twist to the album if it worked out. Matt Porter, your thoughts on I Walk Alone? You know, this is this is one of my favorite songs on the album really because it's kind of different. And I think in a lot of ways, Bruce is really the hero of the album. I think, you know, his guitar work on the album is really solid. I think better than most of the songs. And I thought it was great for him to get the lead, you know, vocal part as well. I think in a way this would work better on a Bruce Kulick solo album, which I would love to hear that. I think because it's something different and it's something, you know, we hadn't really heard Bruce singing a lot before. I think it's why it maybe stands out. And I think his guitar work is fantastic, as really it is on most of the album. Really one of the standout tracks on the, on the whole thing for me. VJ, you have final word on this track. Well, Bruce Kulick is clearly a very nice man and incredibly talented, but this is not this song is not well done. 
Um, I think the lyrics are pretty bad. He speaks more than he sings. I had something mean I was going to say. Um, have you, do you guys know who King Missile were? <laughs> yes. I was going to say this was like a King Missile song. Um, <laughs> because I really don't think he's singing. I don't know if you could describe what he's doing as singing. Which you could say the same thing about like Ace Freely on a lot of songs. In fact, yes. there are moments in this song where it reminds me of Ace Freely. <laughs> Maybe on like Talk To Me. So especially Ace Freely live, where he put in a lot less effort, it seems, and boy, couldn't be layered as much. <laughs> but boy, he enunciates the hell out of things. <laughs> yeah. In the end, I think the only song in this album I could say I really like at all is Hate. So I can't really say this is... I Walk Alone's one of the best songs that I wouldn't... Because I don't really like anything on here except Hate, so... I mean, maybe... I could say I Walk Alone isn't as bad as some of the other songs. That's probably the best I can do. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Woo. I would have liked to have heard it without the backwards guitar thing. Really? Yeah, to me that takes so much away from the song. Or in the sense that it's almost... it. The, the, the backward guitar part becomes gimmicky in a sense. And it takes away from it just being a straight-out song. I would have rather heard it with the, you know, because we all know Bruce can solo the hell out of things, so just let the guy do his thing, you know. Just a... You know, straight ahead. Just straight yeah. ahead rock. Because Bruce can definitely deliver, so... Right. But and to me, it makes it ever. kind of gimmicky. Yeah. I mean, it was like they were throwing out... They were, like, pulling out all the stops. Yeah. You know? You, had, you sort of got the feeling like Bruce just really lived in the studio for this record. I mean, it feels like most of the record is him and Eric, in a way. Or mostly him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and boy, I mean, he just, like... You know how people talk about, on Revenge, Ezrin um, spurred him on to the next level? I feel like this was even higher than that, or, or farther, further than that. Well, the, I mean, the whole song, I mean, even even talking about his vocal delivery on it, it, it reminds me of some of the more uh, slower spoken-ish vocals like like somebody like Hendrix had done from time to time. I mean, to me, this this song might not seem obviously like, an, you know, Hendrix-inspired, but when I listen to it, I, oh, I hear it all over this. You, I, you, I, know, what, you yeah. know what it seems like is a country song? but done as a grunge song or something. So, like, oh, weird. you could imagine something like, Well, I walk alone, can't you see? I'm all alone, let me be. I got my cowboy boots on the ground. Macho and Lefty are here to cut the grass. <laughs> Well, I got no heart, and I got no home, and I got no somewhere that I belong. Wow. Anyway, so there I you like go. I like this song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Johnny Cash on American Recordings doing this. Yeah, there you, there you go. go. That would have been awesome. Oh yeah, my God, that, that, that would have been, been cool, so man. cool. I walk alone. Anyway, that would have been so cool. Would have been awesome. Uh, Bruce, we love you. And we are glad that you were a huge part of history, and uh, just, just, just uh, thank you for being part of the podcast at some point too. Mm-hmm.
And now it's time for a house call. With his take on Carnival of Souls, it's the one and only Ralph Vieira. Take it away, Ralph. The doctor is in. I'm glad to be back on my favorite podcast, other than my own, the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. But you guys are a close second. I'm sorry I couldn't be here for this episode. I'm a busy guy, as you know. But I, I do appreciate you having me on so I can give you my thoughts on uh, Carnival of Souls. Here, here we go. I'll go through track by track. Track one, Hate. I really like this tune. It's a good one. It's a pure, it's kind of like Unholy Part 2. Gene Delivers. I like it. Rain. I dig it too. I like the little drum thing. And it's a little grungy, little, you know, Paul, Paul Stanley's, you know, singing a depressing song. That's probably why he hates this album so much because... You know, the, the subject matters are kind of like, eh. Uh, but I dig it. I dig Rain. I think it's a cool tune. I like the, I love the little drums and the little rain effects that Eric Singer's doing. Uh, third track is my favorite off here, Masters and Slaves. I love the hell out of that song. Very heavy. Uh, the, the, the part, there's a, there's a part before the chorus that, to me, it feels like they borrowed it from an obscure a band called Pernella Scales that were around at the time that features Rachel Baldwin from um, Skid Row. If you listen to their song called Crisp, and they actually have a video for it, you can see it on YouTube. The pre-chorus sounds very much like Masters and Slaves. I think they borrowed it from there, but or it could be coincidence. Uh, Childhood End, I don't get it. I'm sorry. I know it made the box set, and you know I guess it's considered one of the best tracks on the album. I hate this song. I'm sorry. I just can't stand it. I don't get it. It bores me. It's like, it's garbage. I don't like it. I'm sorry. Uh, next song, I Will Be There, Paul Stanley, acoustic tune that he wrote for his son, a uh, brand new son he had at the time. I really like it. It's heartfelt. It's cool. It's di- I dig it. Uh, then Jungle. Oh, Jungle's awesome. Killer Groove. This was, I believe, the single of the album. It's awesome. I dig Jungle. One of the standout tracks. Probably my second favorite. Then we go in In My Head. In My Head, I feel like, eh, you know, it, it, it's good, but it sounds unfinished. Like a lot of these songs to me sound unfinished because after all, they're in the studio recording this album. When they announced the, the reunion, they were getting that geared. So I feel like Gene and Paul pretty much abandoned this album, left it for uh, the producer and Bruce, Bruce Kulick to finish it. So I think In My Head is one of those songs that they just didn't bother to finish it. it it had a good idea, but it just falls flat for me. Next track is It Never Goes Away, probably the most grunge of the whole album. And I really, really love this track, especially for the vocals. Uh, Paul Stanley nails it, man, and he's like holds those notes. He's amazing on it. Uh, one of my favorite tracks also, It Never Goes Away. Great, great song. Uh, next one, Seduction of the Innocent. Just like in my head, man. It, it, it has a good vibe, kind of a, you know, like Egyptian type thing going, but I don't know. It loses me in the translation. I, I'm not really too into it. Uh, I confess the same thing. I feel like, uh, well, that one I don't even like at all. I don't even think it's unfinished or started for that matter. Then In the Mirror, which is a hard rocker, but again, feels unfinished, feels like it could have been better, but it just falls flat, if you ask me. Then we end it with I Walk Alone, a song that um, 
Bruce Kulick sings. To me, it sounds like a Foo Fighters song. I like Bruce Kulick's voice. The song is kind of eh, you know, it's like whatever. It's not horrible, but I guess it is finished since Bruce Kulick probably put a lot of energy into this one. But anyway, that is my quick uh, review. I wish I could have been with you guys, man, so I could have elaborated a little more. But, you know, I mean, I'm just so honored you had me on the show. Well, thank you, Ralph, for that great review of Carnival of Souls. And can you tell us what you're up to? If you want to see me talk more about this album, I do have a review that I did for this album on my YouTube channel. It's Almost Human 5-6. The number's 5-6 altogether. The review, I review every single Kiss album, every Ace Freely solo album, Live to Win, Ass H, the Gene Simmons solo album, even the Peter Chris solo album, and even Vinnie Vincent. I reviewed all those on separate episodes. Check it out. Uh, I also have another, uh, I have a few YouTube channels. That I have another YouTube channel where I review all Sabbath stuff, and that's uh, the Eternal Idols, all one word. Then I have uh, the Vieira Vaults, or Vieira Vaults, all one word. That's where I review different bands like Van Halen, and you know Motley Crue and stuff like that, and even heavier stuff like Dark Angel. I have two bands, uh, Thrash or Die. Please join our Facebook page and check us out on YouTube. Hopefully you'll like it and you'll come out to see us because we are going to be touring pretty soon. And I would love your listeners, any of your listeners, come up to me at a show. I'll give them a free shirt. The Rock and Metal Combat Podcast Show is doing so well that we got picked up by two uh, different stations that air us. Plus, we're also on Podbeams and iTunes. We're doing exceptionally well, and I thank everybody out there. I thank you, Ken, for giving me the opportunity to plug my podcast. And I also have another band called Combat, which we just released an EP that has been getting incredible reviews and has been selling very well. That we, We'll be getting uh, second presses, and that's how good it's selling. Uh, check us out. We're on YouTube, Combat. We have a video for a song called Demons. Uh, punch in combat demons and check where that band is a little more traditional heavy metal where thrash or die is uh thrash believe it or not you honor me for being on the podcast that inspired me to start my own podcast that's podcast which i plug you guys every podcast show i do and i've even done it in some reviews even before you had me because i've gotten so much information on the podcast i listen to you guys religiously Keep up the good work, and thank you very much, Ken. Podcast and the Kiss Room are number one. Well, actually tied with number one with my podcast, the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. <laughs> Excellent. All right, and for now, the doctor is out. <laughs> so awesome. that's cool. Excellent. Killer, Ken. Thank All you right. so much, man. I appreciate that. Well, that concludes our discussion of side two, whether you like it, love it, hate it, whatever, let us know on the Facebook page. I'm glad that the album was released. I'm glad to have it as part of my collection. To me, it's part of the variety that is KISS, as much as Unmasked and The Elder and everything else, along with Destroyer and Alive. I'm glad that we have the diversity in the KISS catalog. It uh, makes it a much more interesting band. Well, and that's something I'd really like everybody when they go to the Facebook page. Is there anybody that this album is in, like, their top five? Is there anybody that this is their number one favorite Kiss album, but does it make it into the top five? I think that would be an interesting thread, you know, and and hopefully people would comment on that. I'd be really curious. Uh 
This might occasionally get into my top ten, depending on my mood. Because I do, I mean, I can be critical of this album, but still say that I, overall, I really do like this album. And I like the fact that it, it's so odd, you know, in, in the catalog. I, I, sometimes that's what I want from right. them. But uh, favorite album or top five? No, not for me. But Right, right. Where does this fit, like, in your rankings of Kiss albums? Where would you put this, Gary? Huh. Let me look for me. Nothing Nothing beats the first eight Kiss records. For me. I think that, you know, including Alive and Alive 2, I, I think that that material is just... I, I shouldn't say that, actually. I think I like Creatures better than some of that stuff. I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe top of the bottom half. It's probably one of my two favorite... It's my second favorite non-makeup record. You know, it's interesting because there's times that as much as I may not uh, have this be a go-to album or The Elder be a go-to album or Unmasked be a go-to album, I will find myself, like, for a week just in in, in the space of those things, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, by the way, if you like this song, Seduction of the Innocent, you should check out Kistory Science Theater's video version of this on their VMO channel. It's very cool. Des uh, kind of playing the Gene character. It's awesome, and I suggest you check it out if you're a fan of KST. And Ken, do you want me to tell people where to send their hate mail? Or... <laughs> sure, go ahead. Go fuck yourself at Gen- <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. By the way, as far as uh, performed live, by the what? way, as songs performed live, none of the songs from this album have ever been performed live by Kiss. I Walk Alone was performed by Bruce Kulik uh, with a backing tape during Guitar Clinic soon after his departure from Kiss in 1996. He collaborated with John Karabi, Union, and integrated Jungle into their sets with the song being included in their Live in the Galaxy album. Both songs have been performed live by the Eric Singer Project. So there you go. Yeah, this is not one of those albums where I could see, you know, them ever really integrating any of these songs into the the live show for Kiss. I mean, you know, Unholy was one thing, but I just, I don't know. I, even even a great song like Hate, I I just don't know if I could, I don't know if I could see this current lineup of Kiss and the whole type of show they put on. I can't really see it being included in there. Well, it's right. like. For example, you can't imagine Gene sitting there at, uh, you know, on the cruise doing In My Head now, you know, looking like he does. But if you saw Gene, you know, looking revenge Gene-ish, yes, that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Anyhow, we get hung up on looks and things like that. So as KISS fans. It is Kiss. I mean, you know. yeah, you really can't deny it. A lot of people say, like, well, it doesn't matter what a band looks like, but then you say, yeah, but these guys, oh, you know, absolutely. Look really cool. I mean, I, I was one of those ones that was guilty of for a long time having somewhat of a negative uh, impression of Asylum because they just looked so freaking ridiculous, you know. And eventually when I was able to kind of forget it and get past it and go back and revisit that album, I said, wow, this is, this is a great album, actually, you know? But as KISS fans, yeah, even when they didn't have makeup on, we still couldn't help but care, you know, what they looked like, and it it does affect your impression of things. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, would you recommend it to someone, the album, BJ? Hell no. 
Unless, they had really, unless I knew they had really bad taste. Then. Oh, <laughs> no, I did no, I mean, no. <laughs> I think they made the right decision when they didn't release it. Ah, they sh- you know they should have wicked Lest- wicked Lestered this thing all the way, man. <laughs> or they could have put Wicked Lester out with it, you know, the beginning and the end kind of a thing. And now they're going to take us from the carnival to the circus. Oh, no. There you go. <laughs> oh, boy. I think I would recommend it to a non-Kiss fan before some of the other stuff, yeah. Depends on if they like hard rock or not, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, if I was... Um, I don't remember who made this point earlier, but it's an album from which I would pull songs uh, to put on a mixtape or well, mixtape god who makes those a playlist <laughs> for some for someone uh if i was trying to kind of um cultivate their interest in kiss um particularly i, I remember playing kiss songs for someone who, who wasn't at all familiar really with their material and i played back to back shandy and rain and i said not only is this the same band but it's the same vocalist and they were pretty blown away this isn't Kiss rocking and rolling all night. This is Kiss wanting to be analyzed or share their feelings all night. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it, they're not a band that's known for um, telling you a lot about themselves necessarily, or they right. tell you about like one facet of themselves. And it's usually uh, a glamorized version of that. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I don't know. I. I I understand why, in, in some respects, it seems insincere or disingenuous for Kiss to make a record like this. On the other hand, is there any chance that they took advantage of this opportunity actually to tell us things about themselves that are legitimate? Interesting thought. know where Carnival of Souls fits in your uh, rankings as far as Kiss albums on the Facebook page. We thank you for listening and check out Kistory Science Theater as they do their episode on Carnival of Souls as well. Be looking for the newest episode of our sister show The Kiss Room, hosted by Matt Porter. We'll see you all on the next podcast. Right guys? Woo! Woo! See ya! Bye. That was cool. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podkist.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, 
Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podkist is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podkist is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podkiss crew, thank you for listening to Podkiss, the KISS fanzine for your ears. We're great at that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, we are amateurs. Yeah, I make all the sex sounds with my mouth afterwards. <laughs> Squish. You guys belong in a mental institution. That's how we met, actually. It was lovely. Yeah. Look. Ooh. This place oh. is nice. Right? I'm glad you wore your nice flip-flops. <sighs> Stay frosty, man. Okay. And in the death, as the last few corpses lay rotting on the slimy thoroughfare, the shutters lifted an inch in Temperance Building high on Boaches Hill, and red mutant eyes gazed down on Hunger City. No more big wheels. Fleas the size of rats sucked on rats the size of cats, and 10,000 peeploids split into small tribes, coveting the highest of the sterile skyscrapers like Packs of dogs assaulting the glass fronts of Lavney Avenue, ripping and re-wrapping mink and shiny silver frocks. Now Leghorns, family badge of sapphire and cracked emerald. In the day now, the gear of the diamond dogs.
And my time was running wild A million dead end streets And every time I thought I got it made It seemed the taste was not so sweet So I turned myself to face me But I've never caught a glimpse How the others must see the faker I'm much too fast to take that test Ch-ch-ch-change it Turn and face the strange Ch-ch-change it Don't wanna be a richer man Turn and face the strange Ch-ch-changes Don't tell them to grow up out of it 